Welcome to the False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 104 for August of 2020. I'm Pete, Eric, and Garrett are both with me for, uh, I think, the first time in two or three episodes. We're all together. Uh, hi, guys. Hey, how's it going? I think, weren't we all together last podcast with Johnny Lewis? Maybe that's right. Was, you, oh, that's right. About- you had to bow out at some point, but yeah, yeah, that's right. yeah, I did have to leave a little bit early. Yes, and because we've had guests the last couple of months, we have not done a proper workshop update in quite a while. So yeah. let's just jump into that, Garrett. Last time we talked to you on the podcast, <laughs> I think you were trying to wrap up the Z fifty, yeah, and and had gotten the uh ct70 but hadn't really done anything to it yeah well so that ct70 um i've had that one actually for quite a long time it's just been sitting waiting to get restored but the z50 yeah last time we talked i think it was like kind of mostly done but not quite there and now it is all the way done it took quite a long time to get the last few parts for it because I think the last time we were talking, I had ordered a throttle assembly, but it was coming out of Australia because that's the only place I could find one. And then there was, I needed, oh, no, no, it wasn't the throttle assembly. It was the suspension top clamp for the handlebars. That came from Australia. I had to get a throttle assembly. I can't remember. I think that came from the U.K., so I had to find little parts for it all over the world to finally get it all put back together the way that I wanted it to look. And so now it's done and it runs and rides and it's such a cool little thing. I need to get some video of it. I haven't yet, but so your son's been riding it. I haven't let him ride it yet. Oh, (laughs) I still, you know, (laughs) the more I finished it up, the more I thought to myself, oh, it would be such a shame if it just instantly got wrecked. <laughs> and so I have rethought the idea of letting my son crash it, at least straight away. So I've been kind of looking loosely on Craigslist trying to find like a, a Yamaha PW50 or some like really small low to the ground 50cc motorcycle to start on. Before crashing the Honda. I can because, see that. you know, the, the Z50s also are pretty large motorcycles compared to a normal 50cc. Like my five year old can't really even touch the ground, uh, even with his tippy toes on the 50. Whereas a lot of other 50s, he could like a PW50, he would even have like a bend in his knees with his feet touching right, flat right. on the ground. So. My point being is that the Z50 is kind of big still for him to even attempt to ride on because he wouldn't really be able to put his feet down. So something. Now, like, don't you also have a, a Forzinger? Yeah, the quad. Okay, so has has he ridden that one? Is he yes. comfortable on that? Yeah, even my three year old rides that around without any problem whatsoever. <laughs> the only issue with a three year old is I have the throttle limited and. He wants to go faster, so he'll take his left hand off the handlebar and try to push on the thumb throttle with two hands. So he's basically <laughs> like trying to steer and throttle with two hands on the same grip and because he's trying to make it go faster. And that kid is going to be wild, just absolutely wild. <laughs> so, But the 50, uh, I'm just too nervous to let the kids ride it just yet. It came out too nice. 
And then the Trails 70. So I took it all apart. I think I might have shown you pictures and maybe posted pictures online of kind of what I was starting with, which was a kind of just a rolling chassis with a bunch of rusty parts. I stripped the entire thing down and bagged up all the parts and sent them out to get replated. And I have since got them back. So I have all the factory hardware. It looks brand new. I um, had the frame sandblasted and then I powder coated it a color called Sapphire Blue, Candy Sapphire Blue from Prismatic Powders. Paint is really expensive, like a candy paint. And so I really didn't want to spend that much money. But I did want it to look as like close as I could to the original. And also, the third thing I was working with was I got a plastic headlight bucket online and it was like, you know, candy sapphire blue. And I wanted some powder coat to match the plastic because I didn't want to repaint the plastic and I can't powder coat it. So I found that candy sapphire blue powder at Prismatic powders and it's a very very close match to the headlight bucket that i had so everything was inexpensive it cost me i think 25 dollars in powder to redo the frame you know in a 20 dollars sticker kit so you know it's like a brand new candy sapphire blue ct70 frame and i'm into it for like you know 50 or 60 bucks so when you did it you posted the pictures to our private podcast slack chat Uh and uh and it looks really really nice yeah so it's uh you know a true two-stage color it's a silver kind of a really bright silver base coat with a translucent blue over the top of it admittedly it looks better in pictures i i was really trying to get the powder coat to match the headlight bucket which required putting as little powder on as i could to get the color as light as I could and sort of like paint when you put too little material on it's not it doesn't flow out really well uh with paint you can cut and buff it with powder it's not that simple so it does look really good but it I, it could look better I am kind of a difficult judge of myself and so I mean does it look as good as it did coming off the assembly line oh yeah for sure I mean if if it looks OE quality that's all you need I mean, right. cause it's a CT 70. It's, it's yeah. not a Vincent, you know? Right. And so really I'm trying to, cause I'm, I'm going to like ride this, you know, around my neighborhood and all that. This isn't something to put on the shelf or, or even try to sell for a bunch of money. Um, I'm trying to like do it all as inexpensively as possible and save money where I can. For instance, like the original Bridgestone trail wing tires, you can still get, but you know, to get them now, it's a little over a hundred bucks for the two tires. And there is a knockoff from some, one of the Chinese tire manufacturers that, you know, looks about identical, um, same size and everything. And I think that they were like $28 a tire shipped. So like I saved money there. I'm going to just put a Chinese 70 engine in it. There's, one that you can buy that just looks exactly like Honda 70 motor where, you know, the cases are just raw aluminum and the cylinder is black and the head is silver and it just looks like it's supposed to. And, you know, I'm just going to put one of those motors in it. So saving money and not really trying to make it completely original necessarily. So you're not going to do like one of the 190cc four valve. No. Uh, <laughs> no, no. And just because 
I want it to look like an original one, but still just trying to save money where I can. And I don't want some, you know, gigantic because those engines that bolt in, they're still dimensionally like quite a lot larger than a Honda 70 motor. It's not just as simple as a bigger bore. They actually have just gigantic heads on them and the cylinders right. are huge and yeah. the foot pegs don't really mount to the bottoms of the engine. You have to like space them down and it just gets all weird. And Yeah. I'm just going to put a 70 in it, 70 engine, 12 volt, but I'll, I'm still going to put like all the original like speedo cable and brake cables and, you know, it's kind of the seat cover and I want to have the original exhaust on it or a replica of the original exhaust. So luckily you can still, there's, you know, some people around that are reproducing the original parts and, you know, they're reasonably priced. So it makes it easier to do. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, I'm down a motorcycle that I, I think I told you in the text message, I sold my FC one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what, was, what prompted that? Yeah. You know, it was just this random thing. I went on a ride you know, I finally had an opportunity, some free time to go on a ride and I went on a ride and it just wasn't doing it for me. And that motorcycle has always been OK. And and I will maintain the FC ones are some of the best value in motorcycling, but it just didn't really fit my personality. It was not exactly what I have wanted. And I've never really thoroughly enjoyed riding it. And I just I went on a ride and I just wanted a good motorcycle experience and it just didn't do it for me. And I went home, grabbed my phone and just took pictures of it and posted it like 30 minutes after that ride. I didn't really get a a bunch of hits on it for like two weeks until there was like a day where I think had like five people message me. And one of them made arrangements to come look at it. And then like five more people messaged me and, you know, one of them ended up buying it. But like for two weeks, I had almost no hits on it and I was just going to keep it and not sell it. But Interesting. Then somebody surfaced. So the dealership that I worked at as a young man that a good friend of mine still owns, I was over there after work on my way home and uh, their used bike section of the showroom is half empty. I mean, yeah, he's like, I, it's been great, but now I'm starting to worry because I don't have inventory. You know, I've got new bikes. Yeah. He said, the good thing is they got a decent price for some non-currents that had been sitting on the showroom floor that they really, you know, needed to get rid of. But, um, people want used bikes and they're coming in and they're like, is this all you have? And he's like, and it's the most expensive and least desirable used bikes that are, still on the showroom floor so they're a little picked over so i'm surprised it took you as long as it did to get rid of what is probably one of the nicest fz ones that i think somebody's gonna find yeah but i also priced it like it was the nicest one oh okay and and so like there were many that were less expensive but certainly none that were as nice and so I think that it finally took somebody that wanted an exceptionally nice one and was willing to pay for it. So on kind of a s- similar note, one of the guys on ADV Rider I follow is Build Threads. He got a f- champion flat track frame mm-hmm. and without knowing what kind of engine it originally went to because the mounts had been modified. 
She's like, what should I put in here? And uh, from our past conversations, I said, hey, have you thought about a 200 blaster motor? It's like, mm-hmm. no, I hadn't, but that would just be really cool. Yeah. Cause it was probably, you know, for a, a DT250 motor or something like that originally. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to get one of those. And he came back and said, there's none on eBay. I was like, what? Cause in our past conversations have caused me to go out and look. And there's always like a bunch of cores and a, mm-hmm. a couple of, uh, rebuilt motors and a couple of good used ones. Every time I've gone out, I've seen at least, five or six complete motors. Yeah. This spring has been so wild that evidently everybody decided while they were in quarantine, they were going to rebuild their ATV. Yeah. Well, I think everyone is, is bored. And so they were like rebuilding ATVs slash working on projects like they never have before. Exactly. And so like all of this stuff, like engines is, as selling, a, you know, it's like used motorcycles. I think just, you know, inexpensive hobby things are selling very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought about getting an RC car here recently. And so I went on to like the RC car website store and they're like sold out of everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, I feel like everyone just has a bunch of free time and crossword or not crossword puzzles, jigsaw puzzles, like back ordering yeah. jigsaw puzzles. And, you know, because people can't go do the things that they were doing, like socializing and going out to dinner. They're just stuck at home. Yeah. So even if they are working, they still have a bunch of free time to, you know, devote to a different hobby. But I I was talking with the dealer that had had we had talked in the past about a Suzuki GSX 250R. Mm-hmm. And he had one that was a 2019 and they were offering like a thousand dollars off on cycle trader yeah. on the internet price and it went away and I can't call him up and I was like, Oh, did you sell it? And he's like, no, we're asking full retail. Cause we've sold so many bikes this spring that we're wow. not discounting anything. And I was like, that's interesting. And eventually they did sell it. And I assume they sold it for quite a bit more than it was being advertised for wow. in January and February. So yeah. Interesting. That's like that across the, across the, board though like rvs and and boats are moving like mad and uh the car dealerships that we work with they're you know their new cars are moving okay but they have trouble keeping inventory of used cars in fact they're paying like top dollar from people just to get some of that inventory in right now so yeah yeah and i i so i have to admit since we were just talking about the fc1 that i used that money and i bought a 1932 ford roadster body oh wow and chassis Oh, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm building a channel 32 Roadster. It's just I have a small block Chevy engine for it. It'll be a four-speed manual car. Cool. All black. Very so, cool. Three-window so, or five-window? Well, it's a Roadster, so just a window. Oh, road, sorry, Roadster. Yep. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Ro- you said Roadster. I heard something. Because yep. I, I had thought about getting a different motorcycle, but I want four wheels for a project for right now. I am. I am. If I ever get done with these two bikes there, I've got a whole notebook full of bike ideas, but I think I want to do something with four wheels. I mean, I had a dune buggy years ago and a long, long time ago before I got married, I had a 66 GMC van. Those are about the only project cars I've ever had. And uh, I'm thinking like maybe an MGB or something like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed my MGB for like a hobby car 
because that thing was dead reliable. It started every time and it always worked just the way I expected it to. And it was so easy to work on. Like if ever there is something suspicious, it was cheap and simple to fix it, which is kind of ironic considering the manufacturer. The other day I saw somebody online makes a adapter plate to put the Honda ST1100 engine to mount to a Volkswagen transaxle. Hmm. And I was like a Baja buggy with a pan European motor in the back would be really cool. I was like, yeah, that would be fun, but I'm not sure I would want to get into that level of engineering. You know, mm-hmm. the problem with cars and this is why I originally got into bikes. Cars take up a whole lot more room. Yeah. And all the parts are heavier. So you need heavier tools and more manpower to physically do the work. I mean, you can yeah. pick up a bike engine yourself and muscle it into the frame. You need a lift or you need a, a lift and a buddy, preferably to pull an engine out of a car. Yeah. So it's an exponential commitment of resources right. when you go to four wheels. It is. And also you got things like, you know, tires, you're going to spend three or four times as much on tires. So, yeah, it is true. So the FC one is gone. Yep. The trail 70 is still in work, but painted. Yeah. You know, so here's the other problem I've been running into because of coronavirus, I think is supply chain problems. So I am basically at a complete standstill on the trail 70 because of parts that I cannot get that would normally be available. These are like reproduction parts, not OEM. Right. Um, but they are just on back order because of supply chain problems. And, you know, most of these parts are still made in China. And so there's a bunch of stuff that I need and I just can't get it right now. You know, stuff like the handlebars I can't get. I need a couple fork tubes. I can't get those. Um, just tons of stuff. So there's not much I can do, but I do have the frame and, and forks and all that powder coated. And, you know, I have the wheels and tires, but that's about all I can do right now until I get a few parts. I'm not sure when that'll be though. So other than little bikes, you haven't been working on anything? No, that's well, I've been tinkering on my friend's trail 90. It's been sitting in my shop for quite a while now. He, it had, been sitting for quite some time as grandpa had purchased it new in 1972 and it needs a set of points. And so I put a set of points in it and got it timed and got the ignition sorted out, but it needs like a gas tank in it and stuff like that. So I'm just helping him fix it and make it run and ride. So yeah, that's about it for motorcycles right now. Have you had your RZ out at all? No, I haven't. Although, did you see the uh, commute with Zach Quartz, the latest one that he yes. did? Yeah. Eric Eric put that in our Slack chat, and I watched yeah. that the other day. Pretty neat. I thought it was a really accurate depiction of somebody that, you know, he wasn't around when that bike was new. Yeah. And it was really interesting to get his perception of it. And I thought it was fairly accurate of, wow, this thing is kind of antiquated, but a whole lot of fun. Yeah but it's really antiquated, but it's a whole lot of fun. Yeah. The number of times he just spontaneously cackled driving it made, yeah. just tickled me. He, um, I think has a very accurate perspective of the RZ. 
And I think it's one that like really hardcore RZ enthusiasts maybe wouldn't agree with, but if they really thought about it, they would, you know, cause like RZs feel pretty clumsy and the writing position is pretty weird and it is really antiquated technology. I mean, it just does not work like a new motorcycle does. But, you know, they're unique and you can't get that kind of riding experience on any new motorcycle. So, yeah, well, it's almost, you know, 40 years old. It, it's, yeah. it's not, you know, but and it just it seems like RZs uh, are getting a lot more attention in the last five years than they had previously, you know, showing up on these YouTube shows like this was at courts. And now their values are becoming, you know, pretty significant also. I haven't even touched mine. I need to uh, still fix a couple of things like the fuel tank. It, it, it was still leaking out of the bottom of it. And so I think it's going to need some pretty aggressive rust repair, like actually cutting out parts of the mm. bottom of the tank and just patching in whole new pieces of metal. Um, so I do I have the tank off of it so I can do that rust repair. That's about the last thing that it needs. I rode it around a few times before I took the tank off and, you know, it seems pretty well sorted out. Everything's working like it should. So I just need to get the rust issue taken care of in the tank, which will unfortunately require repainting the whole tank. Right. Which, you know, I guess isn't really a bad thing because it does have a couple of dents on the sides, you know, from probably falling over in a parking lot or whatever. So I can just kind of fix those little issues while I'm at it. So I thought about my other RZ that I have is really just kind of a clapped out, you know, it's a frame. There's no fairings on it. It's got, you know, I think a ZX nine front wheels and forks and brakes on it. And, but everything's there. And I really thought about just bleeding the brakes and firing it up and riding that around. Cause it's, I really have no investment in it at all. It's not nice by any means. And, but it's still an RZ350. It has some really cool rear sets on it. And so it's a pretty aggressive riding position. Definitely, it was once used as a track bike. Mm. Um, and so it, you know, feels the part, but it is, you know, quite the beater. It's pretty worn out. So, but it does have a full rebuilt engine in it now. So I just need to like maybe do a couple of things to it and then ride it around like I don't care. <laughs> so I might get that one out and fix it up here pretty soon. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Pete, you you made some progress. Uh, well, you know, it continues apace. <laughs> I think last time I talked to you guys, I was going to attempt to TIG weld my hybrid Kickstarter. That was the top half of a ATC 250R kickstart arm. And the bottom of it is a, the stock Boltaco splines. And I had, uh, used the lathe and the hydraulic press to press them together. And so they were, they were really well put together, but I thought, Oh, I can just run a, a TIG bead around the bottom of them and really, and I went to do it and I had a horrible time. My, my cheap Harbor freight, uh, auto darkening helmet was auto darkening without any rhyme or reason. There were times I'd hit a, the arc and it wouldn't 
darken and then it would and then it would go really dark and I couldn't see what I was doing. And so I'd stop. And of course, when you can't see what you're doing, then I'm touching the electrode and contaminating it. So I got to go grind the mm. electrode and go back or I'm sticking the, the rod to it. When I can't see, I'm pulling it away too much and then it sticks. And then I was having a really hard time. And I finally said, screw this. I'm going to lose my sight in worst case scenario. Best case scenario is I do really ugly gobby welds. So I did some research and I ordered a not super expensive, but instead of the $29.95 cheapo from Harbor Freight, I bought one off eBay that's still Chinese, but it's uh the actual auto darkening module for it is pretty standard that a lot of them use. And it was, I think, $84.95 plus shipping or whatever. And uh, so it was just under $100. And I, I found out what the deal is, is the really cheap one has no built-in battery backup. It's just got a capacitor in there. If you take, I finally found this out after buying a new one. If you take it and you put it in bright sunlight for about 10 minutes, it will charge the capacitor and work properly. But when you're doing real short arcs, it doesn't ever get the capacitor fully charged. So that's why it's acting really unpredictably. Yeah. You just need to make sure that you give it a good current through the, through the little solar panel there ahead of time so that it'll work. So I still have both of them, but this new one does have a removable button cell lithium battery in it. So you don't have to do that. So I haven't gotten back to that mainly because there's so many other things I've been doing. I did finish the rear sets. Last time I think I talked to you, I had gotten it together, but I had used two parallel plates on the inside and outside of the frame. And then I had this big, huge, like aluminum spool that went between them. And there was a real problem with that because I was using the stud from the foot peg to bolt them together. And it wasn't long enough on one side. I, I countersunk a hole that the bolt would fit in, but then I was going to have to drill around the outside and use some other bolts to hold the inside to the spool. And it was just, I lost all confidence that it was intelligently and efficiently designed and it was going to look ugly anyways. And I thought the only reason I'm doing this way is because I'm timid about bending. You know, I think it was a three sixteenths inch steel plate. Mm-hmm. I just went out and I bought a really nice hydraulic press. You have the ability to do this. It might take you a bit to get everything, you know, symmetrical and in plane and where you need it. And it was actually easier than I thought it was going to be. I just got a couple of blocks and I got a big pipe, scribed everything as accurately as I could. And I put it in there and I was like, and I had to go back on one side, kind of tweak it a little bit because I overbent it because I wasn't sure about the spring back. But when I got all done, I was like, oh, that's lighter, more efficient, looks closer to something that would be factory. It didn't look like somebody's bodged work at home. I, I, I need to clean stuff up a little bit. Mm-hmm. These are stronger, lighter, fewer parts. And the whole point of this whole project is for me to learn fabrication skills. You know, I tried my hand at using hydraulic press to bend metal and was able to do it. Yeah. I felt really good about that. And I was really excited at that point. So, uh, I started on the brake rod and shift linkage and I got into that. And on one side of the frame, right where I would need to mount a linkage, 
there's a one by one inch piece of tube, only maybe a inch long, that's welded to one of to the frame tube on one side that they used for a removable side stand. You could kind mm-hmm. of plug in a square block that had a side stand on it there in the pits because it was a motocross, so it doesn't have an actual attached stand. Cool. I just need to get the exact same thing for the other side, something I could machine up some kind of mount for a transverse linkage. So I went out on eBay and I ordered a like one foot long, one by one by I think 0.065 inch square tube Yeah. for $14 shipped. Great. FedEx lost it. And they wouldn't admit they lost it. It got within 20 miles of my house. And for two weeks, it just said, a delivery date is pending. No other information available. And I'd call customer service and go, what's the deal? And they'd say, delivery is pending, but we don't have a date. And I have no other information available. And I'm like, can I put a trace on this? And they're like, nope, not yet, not yet, not yet. Finally, one guy said, yeah, it's been long enough. This should have arrived. And I'll call you back tomorrow morning. Well, he didn't call, didn't call. I finally called back and they were like, oh yeah, it's lost. <laughs> we did a trace on it and the trait came of it went into this facility and it ain't there now and we don't know what happened to it. So I contacted the vendor and he's going to send me another one and it should be here, I think Friday or Monday or something. So yeah. And it's bummer for him because he's going to have to file a claim to get his money back from FedEx now. Yeah. But that's the cost of doing business on eBay. So. That's true. So I'm kind of still thinking through exactly how the brake and shift pedals are going to be hooked up, but I think I'm I'm think I'm mostly there. It's going to be really interesting because the shifter, there's so little room for any kind of a shifter to attach. It's got splines sticking out both sides of the engine. One side, it's right where the frame tube is, and the other side, it's behind the chain. So if you've ever looked at Bultaco shifters, they have these really, really convoluted shapes to get it out in front of the foot peg. And now I've moved the foot pegs back 12 inches. So now I have to have a linkage that's going to attach that. So what's interesting is the Kickstarter spline and the gear shift spline are identical. So you can actually put a Kickstarter on the shifter and you can put a shifter on the Kickstarter. Oh, that's convenient. It's just, you know, I spend a lot of time just going down there and just staring at things and thinking of, could I do this? Oh, yeah. Could I do this? Could I do this? I've been there so many times. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I bought the seat from AirTech Streamlining, and it just wasn't – it looked really awkward. And everybody I'd shown pictures to online or in per- – they were like, that seat looks like it just – it doesn't really gel. It doesn't go. It's kind of odd. It, this part's too long. That part's too short. This part's too vertical. And I'd heard that from so many people that I was like, ah, oh, man, I don't know what I'm doing. So in messing with it, I just picked it up and right next to me was the Aramaki frame. So I had the rolling chassis next to me and I just set it down to get it out of my way. And I turned around about 10 minutes later and looked over and it was like the choir started and the shaft of light (laughs) came down from heaven. It fits perfectly on that. And it's a weird, weird shape. If you've ever looked at that 7374 Harley Aramaki 350, I've never seen one that didn't have something weird when they try to do any kind of a box or turtle back seat on it. 
It's the right length. It's the right width. It fits over the frame tubes, right? It's going to be a little higher than the frame tube. So I'll have to like either fiberglass or some kind of a filler panel in there in the front. But that ceased to be a Boltaco part and it's now a Aramaki Ducati project part. So I'm back to not knowing what I'm going to do. I've got a bunch of fiberglass and resin that I bought eight years ago that I've never done anything with because I was too chicken to try it. So I may build a mold and do that and use it before the resin goes bad and it's a waste of money. So yeah, going to get your Mike Patey on. Yeah, I, I'm, I may dabble with it. I may not. What I've determined is once I get the rear brake working and the shift linkage hooked up, it's time to start building the engine. Before I worry about all the little details about how it's going to look, I need to have a running, rolling, functioning motorcycle, and then I can worry about the ergonomics and the cosmetics and the styling and everything else. So right. that's going to be next. I did mount both the front fenders I had for both projects. One morning I was like, what can I do today? What can I do to just say I've made progress? So yeah. I made little spacers for both of them. One of them is a 650 Nighthawk fender that had a leading axle front fork. So the, the bolts were too narrow and didn't line up. And I was like, okay, I figured that one out. The other one, they're exactly the right width, but it's got to sit higher because it's, it was originally for a 16 inch wheel instead of a 17 inch wheel. So, or the forks were rather. So they're, they're on and they're mounted and they look good. So that all worked. So, uh, just keeping busy with that. I did buy a carb for the Boltaco. I had such good luck with the Nibby Chinese carb that I put on the 125 Honda that I got rid of that I was like, you know, I'll give them another shot. It was a really nice quality piece. And so I bought a 30 millimeter and I have to admit it's gorgeous. It does not look like cheapy Chinese stuff. I mean, it's a name brand in Asia. It's not a knockoff. It's like a Kian PWK, I think, or PE. I forget. I always forget which is which. It's the round slide. Mm -hmm. I had some extra money and I was like, spend the money on something that's going to get it running. Don't spend money on another seat. So it was burning hole in my pocket. So I <laughs> bought a carb and a, ma a manifold. I also uh, bought a really neat, compact, rechargeable GPS digital speedometer. Uh, it's not like IP rated waterproof or anything. But that'll be a nice diagnostic tool. So that was another 80 bucks or something. Uh, that's all the stuff that I've been up to, Eric. So I did actually do two things with the Yamaha. Um, there are new valve seals in it. So yay me. Um, and then when I went to start putting it back together, the, the valve springs kept bending in ways that made it very difficult to put the valve keepers on. And a friend of mine happened to be over because he had to borrow something. And he's like, let me see that. And the top part of the valve spring compressor that I had didn't really fit on that. It wasn't just not quite wide enough to fit over the valve. And so it was moving around a lot. So mm -hmm. he says, just give me that. So he, he took it and then he went to Home Depot or Lowe's, bought a, a pipe fitting that was the right size and put it on his milling machine and basically milled something for me. So I was out there the other day monkeying with it. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, this is going to work. But again, me trying to put valve keepers on just whatever my fingers weren't working and I was kept dropping them or they'd slip. And I'm like, okay, before I start throwing things, let me just walk away. 
because you know anyways um so i did actually make small amounts of progress on on the bike so but the big news is that for last month to six weeks now i have had access to a brand new royal enfield uh 650 continental gt and i have to say it's a fun little bike um, although apparently little might be the wrong word because at 510, I don't think anything of it with a 32 inch inseam. I flat foot it. No big deal. My buddy, who's a three, four, three inches shorter than I am, much shorter inseam. He, he's like, Oh, wow, this thing's really tall. I'm up here on my tippy toes. And I'm like, mm, sucks to be short. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like what Garrett was saying about the FC one. You got to get something that just feels right to you and fits how you want to ride. And yep. So it was basically delivered on on a semi that moves motorcycles around the shipping company. I had to walk down the street, block and a half down the street to go get it because like he could have gotten down my street but chose not to because we've got a lot of trees in the in the neighborhood and he didn't want to scratch up his truck and trailer. Which okay, fair fair point. <laughs> um, literally like fired it up, threw my gear on, sounds really good, and I kid you not, pulled out onto tra- out of the traffic on Woodward. And it has to be one of the easiest clutches that I've ever used. And the sense, I mean, it's not like super light, but the engagement was just like, you didn't even really have to think much about it. And, and I haven't really ridden a bike more than, I don't know, 20 miles in the street in years at this point now. It was no big deal. Like I'd just gotten off a bike yesterday and I was like, just rode away and made a couple passes up and down Woodward just to get a, just to get comfortable with it. I'm like, all right. So then I had to go back to work at that point and I've gotten it out a couple times and taking it for some rides and it's, it's nice. And I got to do one longer ride a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, but the caveat in this, and I've got a couple more notes to talk about, um, is that my riding on it has been limited because along the way, twice in the last probably month, I'd have to look at the dates, but my neck has basically seized up where it wouldn't, well, it wouldn't turn very much. But then on top of it, like the right side, all the muscles went super tight, super tense you could literally see the muscle bulging out of my neck and then it would spasm. Mm. So it was like, I'm holding on to things because it just hurts so bad. And like any kind of movement was setting it off, especially the first time. So I ended up at urgent care and they gave me a shot of something and basically a shot of liquid Valium, I think is what it was to use <laughs> a muscle relaxant and gave me some stuff and sent me on my way. And I'm like, okay. And I wrote a little bit after that, but I was a little hesitant just because my neck, not so much when I'm writing, but any other time I'm like, eh, it's a little tight today. I don't know if I want to, you know, have that happen while I'm on the bike. And uh, putting a helmet on your head and adding extra weight that your neck has to support, I'm sure, yep. is not the smartest prevention. Yep. Uh, and then it happened. This, uh, that happened to me like on a Friday, Thursday or Friday, one the first time. And then um, the, another time Sunday night. And I was literally planning after we ate dinner, I was going to go out for a ride. And, um, about five 30, I'm making dinner and I feel it start to tighten up. I'm like, eh, okay, yeah, no big deal, whatever. And then just, I literally opened the refrigerator door to grab something out, um, for making dinner. And it just started all over again, maybe like 5% less than the first time. So because it was Sunday night, I had to go to the ER, um, which was fun. Cause then they keep you there for like six hours just for observation. <laughs> Not like you can just get in and get out, you know, and I've ridden it once, once after that. So this weekend, I got to get one or two more rides in before it goes back, which I think it's supposed to go back Monday, but I it, I don't have that cemented yet. So notes on it. Um, 
Some interesting things. Going down the highway at 75 to 80 into the wind, it's a little brutal. <laughs> um, it's not bad, but it's just like, yeah, I don't want to, I, you don't want to spend like more than about 45 minutes at that speed, but going into a decent breeze. The funny thing is coming home in the tailwind, it was no big deal. That said, the, it's not. And then in the cross breeze, the wind was blowing pretty decent that day. Probably good, solid 15 to 20 mile hour breeze. But uh, with a crosswind, it was very stable. So that was that was nice because, you know, no one likes being blown across into the other lane. Uh, I rode it, uh, you know, freeway, probably put good 35, 40 miles of freeway riding on it, if not a little more. And it's not bad. Um, again, 70, 75 is sort of the top end of where this bike is comfortable. Sort of the, the sweet spot is like 35 to 40 up to about 70. And then that makes it a great back road bike. Um, on the back roads, it's, it's great. It handles, it handles really nice. Um, but being a parallel twin, it does have a pretty good buzz in the, well, especially in the right handlebar about 70 miles in. I was getting ready to turn around anyways at that point. I had to stop for a little while and um, flex my hand because it went it went pretty numb. But you can probably fix that with a bar end weight. So that's, you know, not, that's a, probably a pretty easy fix. Riding position's really comfortable. The suspension on it's reasonable. I'm not going to say it's brilliant or good, but considering it's a $6,000 motorcycle. I was going to say it's a budget bike. You yeah, know. yeah, exactly. I wasn't expecting the world. But if you're expecting something as good as, you know, a 2020 something from Japan at, you know, eight or $9,000. No, it's, it's not going to be that good, but it's good enough. The engine is pretty solid, uh, it, it, good, decent power. But the one thing that would keep me from really wanting to buy this bike is it feels like it needs another 10, maybe 15 horsepower, just because if you're in fifth or sixth gear, and you're going up a hill at 55, 60 miles an hour, it'll go up there and it won't chug or bog, but it's not really happy doing that. Um, you kick it down a couple gears, then it just, it motors right up. It has good torque. Um, the brakes on it are good, not great. Most of the time they're fine. I did come up where I had to jam on the brake hard one time coming up because the, it was a really quick stoplight. It was like, Coming up, and I'm like, okay, it's yellow. I'll be able to go. There. Oh shit, it's red. <laughs> you know, and had to grab a handful of the front end dive, and I didn't really feel the ABS, but it really felt like it was at the limit of its braking on on, on the front end of it. So, uh, the seats, you can tell it's a new bike because I think the bike was delivered with like 190 miles on it. Um, so it's literally a brand new bike. The seat's gonna need some break in because after that one long, longer, longer ride for me, uh, that I did, it was like, I was ready to get off the bike after 125 miles, I think is what the, the trip ended up being. Just, it was, you know, that was enough, but, um, I'm not gonna say complaint. The only other caveat maybe is, and maybe it's just me not thinking it through all the way yet. When it's, cause it's an air cooled bike, uh, when it's warm and it's, you know, good riding and you're in stop and go traffic, the throttle gets a little fluffy off idle. And it's like you, you, you blip it or you just roll in a little bit and let the clutch out. And it doesn't bog. It doesn't hesitate, but it's not snappy. It's a little, it feels a little fat, I guess. But again, new bike. I, a lot of this is caveat of literally a new bike isn't even into break in. You know, it doesn't even really even have its break in mileage yet. But you know what? I, I looked at it as I think the, the summary of it is if you haven't ridden in a long time, this is a great bike to get back into riding because the motor's flexible enough. The clutch is super easy. The ergonomics are pretty good. It looks good. 
Um, it seems to get pretty decent mileage. It's a smaller tank. I think it's barely a three gallon tank. So if you're getting it back into it or you want a cool bike, it's sort of like, I would call this like a resto mod style bike because it looks right out of 1965, especially with the spoked wheels, but because it's fuel injected and the clutch is nice and it doesn't leak, it's got all the advantages of a brand new bike. So for six grand, I think it's a, it's a great deal. It's a fun bike. You know, for a primary bike for a lot of people, and if you want something that's fun and stylish, it'd be a great second bike. Um, I've enjoyed it. I'm hoping to get a few hundred more miles onto it before I have to send it back because it's been nice just to have a bike I could just go jump on and not think about just go ride. The color scheme that got delivered to you, Eric, is like the exact one that I love. Mm-hmm. And I've had a hard time not going to the local dealership and seeing what I could get one for. I'm pretty jealous. <laughs> Do do you think that would fit the riding that you want to do though? Because I mean, a lot of times I hear you talk about bikes, and then you go, "Yeah, but when I get on it, it feels kind of ordinary." Well, you know what I didn't like about the FC one is um, it was a little too edgy, but not in like a good way. For instance, like my friend's Aprilia Tuano, that bike is is a higher performance motorcycle in every single way. But it is actually easier to ride and, um, I guess more pleasant to ride even. I think what I really want is something that's slower and more comfortable, something more leisurely. But I do want something also that can accelerate briskly, I guess. So the thing that I like think of most right now is an ST1300 Honda. And so. I think maybe something like that would fit my riding style, either that or a big adventure tourer type motorcycle. I was going to say it, I could see you with an Africa twin. Well, yeah. So like an Africa twin or the 1090 uh, KTM adventure bike or whatever, 1050. Yeah. You know, the one, something like that, just something that I can put some miles on that's comfortable, but also has kind of a fun side to it also. Yeah, I could see that. But primarily, I, I would love to be able to intercom up with my wife, Lee, have her on the back, and just go, you know, put some highway miles on. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, the the Conti is, it's good. It's a good one-person bike. You yeah. could throw someone on the back, but I wouldn't say it would be good for, a, you know, more than just a, a run down to the store or something like that. It's yeah. like an all-day all day kind of thing. Um, the thing about that Continental GT that appeals to me most is it is styled so much like that TX750 that I had, but doesn't have all of the same um, drawbacks as like points ignition and parts mm-hmm. that you can't get. And, and it doesn't have a run light. Yeah. yeah. Just stuff like that. Yeah. Cause I, that, that TX750, I loved it when it worked right. I loved it, but Having something that kind of had that same look, but had fuel injection and ABS. I can see that. Because performance wise, that Continental GT is better in every way than the TX750. The Mm -hmm. factory rated horsepower in the TX750 is 60, which is more than the Continental GT. But that's when you can use it and when it's working right. That and it never (laughs) like really like ran as smoothly as I think a new motorcycle would. So, you know, I'm sure peak power and and acceleration, they're probably maybe equal, 
Although the Continental GTD, I'm sure, would do it a lot more effortlessly and seamlessly, I guess. Yeah, the the Conti is a uh, 46 horsepower, so yeah, it's not. That's why I said it could probably use like another 10, maybe yeah. 15. I think that would be just the right balance because you go wide open for second gear. I mean, it it gets out of its own way. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean, it moves decent, but it's you're, you're just like. You know, I hate to roll out the Hunter, Hunter Thompson line, but it just never got fast enough for me. You know, just yeah. like, just, and I'm not saying it needs to wheelie or do anything, but just enough where you're like, okay, that's quick. You know, yeah. you, you, it doesn't give you quite that. I don't want to say that the, it doesn't give you enough of the fear to respect it. Like, you're like, oh, I got this. Right. And that's yeah. always a dangerous thing. And that's why I say that's maybe why it needs just a, just a hair more. But yeah, to your point, it, uh, that's why I called it a resto mod bike. It looks, I mean, even when you look at the engine cases and, and how the casting of it and everything, it's still, it looks right out of the mid 60s. It, uh, it, that is the most sculptural engine cases. They absolutely nailed it yeah. on the design. And so many of the most efficient bikes now have no styling to the engine. It's just how can we cover up the components that need to be inside with the least amount of weight, least amount of space, the least amount of metal. Yep. And there's something about older bikes that you look at what were truly styled castings. Mm-hmm. And this has that vibe yep. of nice, polished, smooth curves. Yeah. And I'm going to say, uh, I know that the uh, Royal Enfield's doing uh, some work with S&S. So there's going to be some aftermarket pipes for it pretty soon. Stock, it's not loud, but it does have a nice guttural growl to it. It, yeah. it sounds really good. So just some pipes on it will do a, a great job. And the other thing yeah. I was thinking about, this passed it. This is an air-cooled engine, granted fuel-injected, but it's an air-cooled engine that passed emissions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, so it's like it's it's really, really surprising. So, yeah. Uh one thing that's kind of old news that I wanted to bring up before we wrap up that I forgot to talk about last time, or I guess I didn't because we had guests, but um, smack dab did happen this year. Okay. Uh, we figured out between the state and county health agencies in Kansas and North Dakota came up with an agreement that we could have a no meeting individual ride as long as we kept it to no more than 90 people. And as it was, we ended up having 59 people actually complete the ride. Yeah. The way we did it, I shipped a uh, big banner out to one of the people who lives in Lebanon, very close to the monument in Kansas. They strung up a banner before dawn, way early Saturday morning, and everybody had to go take a selfie with the banner and text it to me. I actually set up a marketing text to email bridge Mm -hmm. that for, you know, like 0.32 cents per email, they will receive your text and send it an email. So I got all the pictures sent to my smack dab website email. And then when they got to rugby, North Dakota, they had until 1030 to take a picture at the monument there with them and with their bike and text it to me. And everybody did that. And we had everybody that attempted to do it did finish the ride and, uh, we had 59 people do it. So it was, it was a, there was no meeting. There was no barbecue the night before. There was no bike show in the parking lot. There wasn't, uh, a riders meeting that morning. And normally the people in Smith Center in Lebanon make cinnamon rolls and coffee and orange juice for everybody. They didn't do that, but everybody got to do the ride and a lot of people said that it was a really good 
cabin fever antidote. They were able to get out, do the ride, go back home, spend a couple days out on the road by themselves. Because this was June, so this was still when things were in pretty heavy lockdown, but we were able to do it. Yeah. You know, some of the hotels and motels in the two cities got to have some uh, very needed income, so that was Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. We didn't have any of the group pictures this year. All the pictures on the website and on Facebook are all just the selfies that I got that people gave me permission to republish. So go out to the Facebook group, uh, just search for smack dab run on Facebook and go out and see some pictures. Yeah. But we're planning on doing it next year. Very cool. And I think we're probably at a good stopping point. Yep. yep. Eric, are you going to have a, uh, a review of the Royal Enfield on some media outlet somewhere that people should look for? Uh, yes. I'm not sure where it's going to go yet. I, I wanted to get everything done and I actually want to get the write up done before I'm going to pitch it to one or two other places other than Hooniverse, Jeff will happily run it, but I wanted to see... I get that. Yep. Definitely go out to Hooniverse. Uh, I will again recommend Off the Road Again. Uh, just this past week, my wife and I took vacation, and we took the F-150 Super Crew that we bought last year, and it got its first real workout. We took it uh, on about a 1,000-mile loop through Kansas and went out to see a lot of the uh, Badlands rock formations outdoor sculptures so covid friendly destinations uh, mm-hmm. at one point actually did have to put it in four wheel high to get out of a little ravine we were in so probably as close to a uh, real off-road 4x4 as our old one ever did but anyways if you're interested in things Kansas cuz one of the two hosts of off the road again is local to me in Kansas City and talks a lot about four wheeling in Kansas and the other one is out in Connecticut, I believe. Connecticut, Rhode Island, somewhere like that. Most weeks, they have a guest. They do theirs weekly. And they've had some really interesting guests recently. So uh, go out to Universe and you can check out their podcast as well on the overlanding 4x4 scene. Thanks for getting together. And we'll see everybody next month. All right. Thank you. Talk to you soon. So long. So long.